chapter 10. If you were here on Wednesday, you, you heard me talk about the uh, reservations that I come to this passage with, or even if you're just familiar with this passage, uh, you may be familiar with uh, some of the um, confusing spots. And, and it made it even doubly worse when the, everything else in this morning's service has just been fantastic. I appreciate the music and the spirit and the singing. And then now it's my turn not to mess it up. So um, I appreciate your prayers as we go through this. But I, 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 I plan to show you what I can be certain of and point out maybe what we can't be and, and uh, let you make your, your own conclusions on some of these things. But we'll go back to Matthew 10 and keep your Bible open there as we will be looking at these verses and trying to draw some, uh, draw the wisdom out of it, but also some application. Jesus is continuing to instruct his disciples on their mission. And, and in the key word in this passage that I want you to focus on is persecution. This is the, the main thought of these few verses here. And it really, he's already implied it and he will continue to talk about it. But these verses that we're spending our time on this morning is about persecution. That is that the disciples are going to face persecution. It's going to be a reality. This is not a, a maybe, this is not an if, this is definitely going to happen for them. And Jesus is being very clear about that. I appreciate that Jesus, in his call to salvation, and even in his call to discipleship, is, is very clear with the terms. He's not, he's not a, a used car salesman trying to sneak something in and find print. He's very upfront, guys, I'm going to send you out. It's going to be dangerous. There's going to be persecution. Now, there are a lot of scholars that, uh, that see in this passage a transition from the apostles' particular mission that he is sending them to the, the uh, lost sheep of Israel, and they see a transition into an overall universal mission that uh, spreads, uh, speaks of spreading the gospel throughout the whole world. And if that's the case, then, then this, uh, this mission applies to us. As I said, that uh, persecution is, a, is going to be a big part of this mission. And in fact, it's going to play an important role in the spread of the gospel. Christ is going to use persecution to advance the good news. So in Jesus' instructions, we find here, as we'll read through it, there's, there's a warning of coming persecution, but he doesn't leave them with that. He also gives them several responses to this extreme opposition. And he says here, I'm sending you out at the very beginning as sending you out as sheep among wolves. Now, before we get into that, think about that image for a moment. What, what mental image comes to, uh, comes to into your head when you think about sheep among wolves? What does that paint for your mind? Sheep among wolves. We've already read in Matthew 7 about wolves coming in in sheep's clothing. But this is the opposite. This is Jesus saying, I am sending you guys out as sheep to the sheep among the wolves. Normally, a shepherd keeps his sheep away from the wolves, right? We have some little flocks of sheep around here. I love seeing them uh, when we're out. It's just a, a very, um, I think it's a very pleasant uh, thing to see. Just around, uh, just down the street is a man who owns some sheep and there's some uh, sheep down as you go down to Cory, and you can see them. And, and I think about that, that how defenseless sheep are, how helpless sheep are. 
And yet that's exactly the image that Jesus puts in the disciples' minds. And he says, as the shepherd, I am sending my men, my sheep, among the wolves to find lost sheep. So as you go, he says, firstly, the first response that I want you to have is to recognize, realize that there is a danger. There is something there. Verse 16 there, I am sending you out. Verse number 16, I'm switched to my Bibles here and I'm looking down at verse 16. I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Understand, this is the situation that you're going to be walking into, fellows. And notice the word behold there. He starts off this passage with the word behold. And we've already seen the word behold many times before. And, and, and we'll remember that it means to pay attention. Uh, listen up. This is, this is what we're talking about now, guys. I know I've been talking about it a little bit, but, but now I really want you to get this. Behold. This isn't something that Matthew inserted. This is what Jesus told them. And it was to grab their attention a little bit more and say, okay, listen now, what I'm about to say is really important. Everything that I say is important but really pay attention right here. And then he goes on. He says, I'm sending you out a sheep among in the midst of wolves. As I said, normally a shepherd keeps his sheep away from the wolves, but Jesus is sending them to them. Sheep have no natural defenses against a wolf, right? They don't have horns. They don't have antlers. They don't have claws. They don't even have a, a protective layer, you know, like a turtle has a shell. They have soft, comfy wool, you know. Everything about a sheep says, attack me. <laughs> Take advantage of my defenselessness. And this is how Jesus is sending them. And he isn't warning them, guys, the danger is coming to you. But that I am sending you into the danger without weapons, without defense, among wolves. And they're not going in to attack the wolves because that's not the mission here. We look back at the beginning of the, of the, of the discourse here. He tells us the mission that these men had was to find lost sheep. And so they're going to go in as sheep to find lost sheep. And Jesus wants them to realize that there's a clear and present danger. Jesus doesn't say hide from it. He doesn't say avoid it. He sends them head on into the middle of it. So then the next thing he says here is, I want you to be prepared for trouble. In the next part of verse 16, he says, and now that you know that the trouble is near, I want you to be ready for it. And how are they to be ready? How are they to prepare? Well, he says in verse 16, the second part, so be wise as serpents, innocent or harmless as doves. Now being wise as a serpent means to be cautious, means to be prudent, means not naive, not gullible, not stupid. And this allusion to a snake reminds me and maybe many of you of the first time we read about a snake or a serpent in the Bible, Genesis chapter 3. And there the Bible begins the introduction of, of a Satan really into the Scripture by uh, showing um, him uh, coming through the serpent and working through the serpent. And it says that the serpent was more subtle or crafty than any beast of the field. That's how serpents are, are known, right? They're not known as stupid animals. They're very crafty. They're very, they're very sneaky and sly. And the way even that they move about uh, shows that they are, they are contemplating something, right? That's not a, a pleasant picture. You don't, you don't, you know, unless you really love snakes, snakes aren't the ones that you, you know, embroider on your pillows to put on your couch. It's not a, a, a cuddly kind of an animal unless you're, 
Unless you're a snake lover, I guess you can cuddle with them, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that guy. Serpents are crafty. They move cautiously, They're calculating. They think ahead. And this is how Jesus wants his men to go out as wise serpents because of the danger that they'll meet. And he says, because of persecution, be wise. But not only wise, because if they were only wise as serpents, it wouldn't be as helpful. It actually could become dangerous, because then he says, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Don't just be wise. Be innocent as well. Harmless, guiltless, pure. And it's interesting that this word here that we see as innocent or harmless is is used only two other times in the New Testament. In Romans 16, Paul says, I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. And again, Philippians, Paul writes, that we may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And he's describing how Christians should be uh, in, in their behavior, innocent, pure, guiltless, living in such a way that they, that they cannot uh, pin anything on you, not because you're so sneaky, but because you're that clean. You're that innocent. And then they go in together. Uh, writer David Brown wrote this, Alone, the wisdom of the serpent is mere cunning, and the harmlessness of the dove little better than weakness. But in combination... The wisdom of the serpent would save them from unnecessary exposure to danger and the harmlessness of the dove from sinful expedience to escape it. In other words, as Grant Osborne wrote, if persecution comes, it must be unearned. When it comes, and it is going to come, make sure you didn't deserve it. Make sure that no one can say, well, yeah, he got what he was, what was coming to him. So be wise, but also be innocent. As Jesus says there, be prepared for trouble by having wisdom in your thinking and modeling innocence in your behavior. But that's not all that he says. He goes on, if you look in verse uh, 17, he says the next thing is to beware. Beware of trouble from all directions. Look in verse 17. Uh, It says, beware of men. Look down in verse number 22. He says, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So uh, we see that, that, that trouble is going to come from a lot of different directions there. First, we see that, that trouble is going to come from the community. If you're, if you're looking in your Bible, in verse number 17, we see, first of all, that trouble will come from the community. It says in verse number uh, 17, Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts. This word courts here is, is, is talking about the, the councils. The, it's, it's actually the same word that we, that we get the word Sanhedrin from. And this is their, the Jewish council that would make the decisions about, uh, about uh, what, what was to be and, and what was not allowed. And, and this, this Jewish system was, was going to be just one of the sources of their persecution. And Jesus told them, He told them here, I'm gonna, you're going to be delivered up and handed over to these leaders in the communities where you visit. The civic persecution. And secondly, He says that there, there will be trouble also from the religious crowd. He says there, he goes on, he says that they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. Think about that for a moment. That was, that was where they went to church. Church was not just, in those days, not just a place to worship. It was also where discipline was carried out. I don't know if we've ever 
have flogged anybody in church here before, um, and I'm not necessarily a fan of that. But this is what they did at, th- at those times. It was a place where more than just worship happened. And he said, expect trouble from the religious crowd. They could be expect to be beaten, whipped in their synagogues. But then that's not it. It continues. It gets worse. He says, thirdly, you're going to find trouble from the state. Because not only will they be persecuted by the Jews themselves, these courts and the synagogues represent uh, direct Jewish persecution, but the next two that he gives are, are including the Gentiles in this. Uh, they can expect persecution from Gentile governments. Look in verse number 18, please. He says, And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Now we see this played out in Paul's experience. Uh, Paul, in Acts 13, Paul stood before Sergius Paulus. Then in chapter 24, he stood before Felix. In chapter 25, he stood before Festus. And ultimately, though the scriptures don't tell us about that, that interaction, we know that he was on his way to meet Caesar himself, to stand before Nero, and to give an account of what he's always given an account for. Think, read those chapters sometime and, and, and see what Paul says when he stands before them. He gives the gospel presentation. He tells his testimony, and he is given an opportunity to speak to these men that he would have n- n- other, uh, no other way had a chance to talk to them. And each time, Paul did the same thing. He said that he did what Jesus said they would do in verse 18. Jesus said there that you will be dragged before governors and kings. Why? For my sake, because of me, because of the mission that I send you on, But he says, and so that you may bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Listen to what Jesus is saying. You're going to stand on trial so that you can witness about me. So that the gospel can be presented. So that you can carry out your mission. The harvest field. This is the place that they were going. And it wasn't just going to be in the the towns that they visited. It was going to be the starting point. Because then eventually they were going to be brought to the highest levels of government and even stand before the king himself and give witness and and share the gospel. And I can think of one um, specifically when Paul was was speaking and he and he said I think it was Agrippa and he said almost you persuade me to be a Christian. This persecution was a part of Jesus's plan to bring the gospel to all people and the apostles would have had the opportunity to share faith with people that they normally would have never talked to. They wouldn't have had an opportunity to talk to them except because of persecution. But sadly, that's not where all the danger is coming from. Because as we see in verse number 21, we see that the persecution will come from another direction, from inside the home. Verse 21, brother will deliver brother over to death. The father, his child. Children will rise against parents and have them put to death. Children turning on their own parents for converting to Christianity. Fathers betraying their own sons. Brothers spying on each other. Handing them over simply because of faith in Jesus. Now we are fortunate to not have a whole lot of experience in understanding what that means. I don't think any of us have ever been turned over to the authorities by our family members because we are Christians. But it is a very real thing today all around the world. 
And it could be one day in America that way. But you probably are, are familiar with stories, just as I am, of people in America who have suffered a form of persecution, some form of opposition because of their turn to Christ and their families turn away from them. People losing inheritances. People losing uh, family members because they just said, we will not, we won't have anything to do with you because you claim to be a Christian. It's either us or Christ. And Jesus is very upfront with these guys. This is going to happen. Not just for you, but it's going to happen for your followers. And then in verse 22, Jesus basically says that they're going to be hated by all kinds of people. Now in verse 22, when he, when he says this here, uh, you will be hated by all for my namesake, doesn't mean that literally every person in the world is going to hate them. Because obviously there's a thing called Christian love and, and, and they're not hated by literally every person. But Jesus is emphasizing that they're, they're not going to be popular for what they do. And it'll seem like everywhere you go, there is opposition and persecution and resistance. And in return for the efforts that you put forth, you will receive persecution. Why? Because of their mission? Because they don't like the mission that they're on? Because they represent Jesus? Because they don't like the, the person they represent? Because Simply because they are sheep. They're among wolves. Jesus said in John 15, 18, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And so he goes on, and he says the next thing I want you to know, the next response here, when you encounter persecution, and it is a when, not an if, this is not if this happens. Guys, I don't know what it's going to be like, but if this happens, this is what I want you to do. It was No, this is going to happen. And so when it happens, we saw it in verse 19, when they deliver you over. Verse number 23, uh, when they persecute you in one town. It's a guarantee. It's something you can count on, guys. And he says, the thing that I want you to do, in, uh, first of all, in verse 19, is don't worry about it. Do not be anxious. Look in verse number 19. When they deliver you over to courts, or when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. Don't worry about it. Don't be anxious about it. Persecution is going to happen, but don't worry. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Don't worry about how you're going to say it. And think about why he would say this to them, because these are uneducated men. These are unsophisticated, common men. They're fishermen. They're blue-collar workers. Acts 4 calls them ignorant and common men. And think about being one of these guys and standing before royalty, standing before tribunals, standing before government officials or educated people, and having a lawyer who's been trained and been educated in, in all of the, 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 the legal uh, legalities and all of the terminology and all of the little loopholes, and you're going up against one of these guys and trying to defend yourself. It's intimidating. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's rather, uh, it gives cause to be a little bit worried and anxiousness. How in the world are you going to defend yourself, let alone persuade them of the truth? Well, he says in verse 19, they're what you need to say. The words that you need to speak are going to be given to you when you need them. So don't worry, Jesus says, because the Father, 
He's going to take care of it. He'll help you. And it won't be you that's giving the answer, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Now back in Matthew 6, Jesus talked about being not being anxious there. In Matthew 6.28, Jesus says, don't worry about the food or the clothes or, or what you're going to uh, drink or anything like that because your Heavenly Father knows you need these things. But here, if we're going to classify things, I think this is a situation that's a little bit more dangerous. This is not, where's my lunch going to come from? This is, am I going to make it out of this alive? And here again, he says, don't worry. Trust God. In Philippians 4, verse 6, Paul says that we are not to be anxious or worry about anything. Instead, to pray, to give thanks, to make our requests to God, to trust Him, to provide. So, he says, don't worry. Let me just take just a sidebar, and some people would take this as a, as a, as a, as an introduction or as a, a, a reason to not have to prepare yourself, to study. I've heard, uh, of, of preachers who, who say, well, this is, this is how I, how do you study? I don't. I just get up there and the Holy Spirit will tell me what to say. And, uh, that is not what it means there because, uh, I don't think I'm on trial right now in front of you. I'm trying to lead you in the truths of the scriptures. And so it is, uh, it is, what he's talking about here is not necessarily preaching and teaching, but defending the faith. But not, not only does he say, don't worry, look down in verse 22 again. He says, don't quit. Don't quit. Jesus says, you will be hated by all men for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. In other words, don't worry about what you're going to say and don't quit doing what you're doing. This is not an active resistance here. You know, back in, in World War II, you know, when, the, and when countries were overrun by the Nazis, there, there would always be a contingency of resistance fighters, right? The French resistance, and they would sneak around and do all that they could to thwart the enemy uh, from, uh, from uh, the shadows. But Jesus is not saying, this is how I want you to be. I don't want you to be an act of resistance. I want you to be a patient, uh, exhibit patient endurance. Why? Because those who endure to the end will be saved. Jesus says first, because that those who don't quit, who endure, will be saved. And obviously we're not talking about death, because we know that almost all of the apostles were martyred. Many of the early church was martyred. History tells us that, that, that I think all but one of the apostles were put to death by unnatural means. This is, I believe, what theologians describe as the perseverance of the saints. It's the commitment of the sheep to their shepherd. Though they may be scared, though they may feel foolish at times for going in as sheep among wolves, their commitment to Christ does not waver. It keeps them going amid persecution, despite the danger of wolves, torture, and even death. Early Christian history is filled with stories of men and women who gave their lives because they would not give up the faith. We could spend all day recounting story after story of men and women and even children who gave their lives willingly at a stake, in a coliseum, at the edge of a sword, at the edge of a, at the, at hanging at the end of a gallows, all because... They profess to be a follower of Jesus. Why would they do that? Greg Blomberg remarks that the true colors of our faith may become visible only when our lives are on the line. 
that because we are His sheep, God enables us to endure. He gives us grace and sustains us even in the middle of persecution. But that's not the only reason we're not to quit. Another reason here is because we are to endure at verse number 23. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Verse 23 tells us that we are to endure not by resisting, but by continuing. We endure by fleeing. Now, fleeing doesn't necessarily sound very courageous, right? It doesn't sound like the, the, the bold thing to do, but this is what Jesus is telling them. He's saying, don't stop. When persecution comes to this town, go to the next. Keep going. Continue the mission. Don't let the persecution here stop you from carrying out the mission there. Back in verse 14, Jesus says that when they don't receive you, you're to shake the dust off your feet and move on. And here He's saying the same thing. The mission matters the most. It matters more than all the other things. So keep going. There's a lot of, now there's a lot of questions on, on verse 23. This is really the, the, one of the, the big, uh, sticky verses in the, in the scriptures. And I can tell you, I read, uh, so many books this week that, that gave so many different answers and, uh, then talked to several of you. Hey, what, what are you, what are your thoughts on this? What do you, how do you, how do you understand this? And, uh, I can say, uh, that, uh, with, with, uh, confidence and with certainty that I don't know what it means. But uh, verse uh, 23, what, what he does mean, I can tell you what I'm certain that he says, that, that, that he, he's saying here that there's a sense of urgency in the command. He's saying flee. This is, a, this is a get there. The apostles were to flee to the next town when they experienced persecution. Yes, to escape the persecution. They were to be brave and bold, but not foolish. Jesus is, is uh, he demands that we be faithful to the end and, and be willing to lose our lives if, if it means that, but it doesn't mean that you go and offer it up. Christ wants to, us to be used, and, and, and this is where the wisdom uh, takes play, uh, comes, into, uh, comes into play here when we know when it's time to stay and when it's time to go. But the urgency was not just to keep them alive. The urgency was because the mission was so important. Because the mission is very urgent, but also because the mission is enormous. It's great. It's bigger than you'll understand. As you get out there and as you get into the, the harvest field, you're going to realize the actual meaning of when I said the harvest is great. It's bigger than you really think it is. And when you get boots on the ground there and you start getting involved, you're going to find out there is so much work to do. And so don't waste your time fighting the persecution. Spend your time continuing the mission. Jesus said that they wouldn't get to all the towns through Israel before He came. Again, that's why I don't want you to waste time fighting with persecutors and arguing with the unreceptive. Move on. There is much to do. There's too many people to reach to waste our time. Now we have to remember, as I've tried to, I've tried to emphasize uh, the last, uh, last several weeks, and especially in these words here, that these particular words were written where were spoken to the twelve apostles. But I wondered this week how this would have affected Matthew's readers. Because Matthew, he was, he was here, he was, he was uh, listening to these words, and now Matthew is penning these words for a group of, of readers. Why was Matthew writing this to them? Why was he sharing this story with them? Maybe, I thought, because they had been a part of the persecutors. You ever think about that? The people that originally read this passage might have at one time been a part of the persecuting. The people that were like Saul, ignorant to the gospel, 
blindly rejected it, violently opposed it. Maybe they were that kind of person. But Matthew's big theme in, the, in his Gospel is that Jesus is, is the Lord. He is the, the Messiah. And it was an intent, I think, to bring Jews to the knowledge of the Gospel and, and bring them to repentance and salvation. But I wonder if, 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 it weren't, if it's not possible that many of these readers were persecuted disciples. Persecution, we don't really find out much about Matthew's uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't really tell us much about the actual mission trip that these guys went on. We don't know if they experienced persecution, but really we, f- we start reading about persecution and opposition and, and, and fighting against Christians in the book of Acts. And, it's, and, it, and, it, and it continues from there. And it's not quit. It's not stop. And, and, and maybe these people knew firsthand what Jesus was talking about, about persecution. Maybe he, they knew firsthand what Matthew was writing about, and I wonder if it was written to comfort them as they realized that Jesus already knew what they would be facing. He understood rejection. He understood what it it meant to be persecuted because He faced it Himself. He knew what they would be going through because God sees and knows the challenges that we face in life. Maybe this was part of the reason that Jesus told the disciples ahead of time. Maybe this is why Matthew wrote it down for his readers to see. To remind God's people that God is in control, even in the darkest situations. And amidst the chaos and the danger, God is actively working to bring glory to His name and sinners into His kingdom. He knew this was going to happen. And He even said as much when He says, when they deliver you up, they're going to do this and you're going to use it to bear witness to the truth, to the gospel of Me. God is using these situations. He's not sitting back and saying, oh man, another one of my guys using this. I know it's going to happen and it's going to be used for my purposes. And that message still applies today. If God's plans for me or for you are to face difficult circumstances or dangerous situations, then I can rest assured that He is in control and He's working all things for His glory. That's why we sing the song this morning, He will hold me fast. With all the things going on in life, that truth, He will hold me fast, helps me to endure. It helps me to stay faithful. With that perspective, I can begin to see threatening circumstances as opportunities to bring glory to God. To participate in His mission of spreading the Gospel to those who need to hear it. You know, today in in the 21st century, especially in the Western part of the world, persecution is not like what it was in Jesus' day. Read books like Fox's Book of Martyrs, and you, and you say, wow, that, that doesn't happen in my neighborhood the way it happened then. But it happens around the world today. We have brothers and sisters in the Lord who today are hiding in their, as they meet. They are uh, faithfully serving Christ at their own risk. But we need to realize that even here in America, uh, in, in, in 21st century America, persecution and opposition is going to be a part of the gospel mission. Whatever form it comes in, it might not look the same here as it does around the world, and it might not look the same here today as we read about it in the book of Acts or in the, in the early church's history, but persecution is a part of the gospel mission. Serving Christ 
does not guarantee our physical safety. Think about that. How often do we ask God to, say, to, to give us safety, to protect us? And then go and read the New Testament. Read early church history and find out how many of them did not enjoy physical safety. Because Jesus doesn't say, when you follow me, you'll be safe. For many of us, though, personal safety isn't the question. It's comfort, right? It's our comfort level. But the gospel mission is greater than my comfort level, and even my personal safety. When hard times come, don't feel sorry for yourself. Don't be anxious. Don't worry about it. Remember, God is in control. He sees what we go through. He knows what we're facing. And for the Christian, He is with you. See these problems as potential opportunities to bear witness to the grace and glory of the Good Shepherd. Yes, persecution is going to come in one form or another. And that's okay. It's part of God's plan. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But we don't have to be terrorized by that. That persecution or that opposition or that extreme rejection, whatever it may be, is going to place us in difficult situations and even scary environments sometimes. But it also positions us to share the gospel, to do the mission in places we might not ever have been able to get into. To talk to people we'd have never spoken to otherwise. To get into locations that would have not accepted us, not brought us in for any other reason. It provides us with opportunities to represent Christ and to share Him with other people. When Peter was writing his first letter in chapter 3, he wrote these words, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So as we go out into the mission field of our workplace, our communities, and sometimes even our homes, let us be wise in our thinking and our choices, May our lives be marked by innocence, purity. May we not live with worry and anxiety, but instead with hope and trust in God. And when persecution comes, in whatever form, may we be found faithfully enduring, carrying out the mission of our Lord and bringing glory to the Father.